you can put it on the board, yes! From playing 18 to a full 60, early leads to buzzer beaters, it all starts by getting on the board. Welcome inside episode 75 of On the Board. I'm Colby McKee. No Lance Dahl, no Corey Bacoskis once again. I, I've heard through the grapevine that the boys had themselves quite a weekend, if you know what I mean. So uh, I've had to go to the bank of our fine talents we've had on the podcast as of late. You may know this voice. He's been a staple the last two holiday seasons uh, for our World Junior Hockey Championship coverage. Uh, but he's back in the co-host chair for an entire episode here today. It's Troy Durrell. Troy, thank you so much for joining me, buddy. Hey, thank, no worries. Thanks for having me on. Uh, just glad sports are back. Um, NHL, Stanley Cup Finals, NBA in their conference finals, MLB rolling as always. Uh, CFL's coming back, Euro 2021 uh, in their knockout stage. I'm just happy sports are uh, back in our lives full time. It, it's quite a uh, contradiction to where we were this time last year, right? I mean, we were had, or we did have rather the NHL side of things. We had a little bit of NBA talk heading into their bubble, but uh, you mentioned all the other sports going on as we speak. It is uh, a great time to be a sports fan, and we're really lucky to have you on board for this episode. We'll start things off, like you mentioned, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, the NHL side of things. I know what we're going to title this podcast already, Troy, and I'm just going to lay it out for you now. We're going to call this one All Aboard because every after every Montreal Canadiens game, Lance Dahl messages us in the group chat and just says, All Aboard, and jumping on the, uh, the Canadiens bandwagon. It has been an, a remarkable run for those Canadiens. They down the Golden Knights 3-2 in overtime of Game 6. Um, at home, that crowd, to see the game-winning goal from Arturi Lekkanen and then the, the fans go insane. The limited amount of fans at the Bell Center uh, was still a, a crazy scene to watch. The first Canadian team to get back to the finals since the 2011 Vancouver Canucks. Uh, we'll start with you, Troy. Your thoughts on the entire series against the Golden Knights and just the Canadian team in general uh, going against Toronto, going against Winnipeg, and then taking down this you know highly touted heavily underdog team uh, that they were against the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, for sure. To be honest with you, Colby, I gave them zero chance. I'll <laughs> eat pro right now. Uh, <laughs> when uh, they went up against Vegas, I was like, man, there's no way they're able to compete with the four lines, three pairings, and two goaltenders that Vegas Golden Knights had. And then I watched game one, and I was like, yeah, okay, the score was 4-1, but they hung in there pretty good. And uh, yeah, then they kind of took the series over after that. And uh, Arturi Lekkanen, uh, the hero in Game 6, as you mentioned, in overtime. Uh, Cole Caulfield, man, what more can you say about that guy? Uh, World Junior Gold, Hobie Baker, uh, makes his NHL debut. Now he's in the Stanley Cup Finals. He's He's been maybe behind Carey Price. He's my pick for the Canadians right now to be uh, the Conn Smythe winner, but... Man, what an injection of youth into the lineup when they put him and Kotkaniemi into, uh, I think it was game three against Toronto. But then your second point, um, yeah, when when they came back against Toronto from 3-1 down, I was like, man, I think these guys have a chance to do something special here. And uh, while 
that sounds like I kind of contradict myself. I thought they could make some noise. I didn't expect yeah. them to go to the cup final. Um, but yeah, to be honest with you, though, I have uh, I have not jumped on the bandwagon. I I am not cheering for the Canadians. I'm not really cheering for anyone. Hopefully, the final between them and Tampa Bay is just great hockey right. and can showcase the sport for what it is. Absolutely no, and uh, you mentioned the the Caulfield. Uh, injection into this lineup. I mean, they've been waiting on him uh, for well over, I'd say, at least the last six months, well, almost a year, just getting out of uh, college hockey down in the States uh, to make his appearance in this lineup. And the goal he scored there in Game 6, like that, they talked about it many times on the broadcast, the, the ability for him to get that puck, to flip it over the defenseman's stick, and then come in on that right-hand side. Leonard reached, and Caulfield taught him a thing or two about going up uh, upstairs uh, short side. That was an incredible goal. And like you mentioned, just the youth. The, you know, Nick Suzuki, we've talked about him and his play uh, centering that line with Toffoli. And, I mean, Kakinemi's been fantastic. Philip Deneau, another crazy shutdown performance against the likes of Mark Stone and, and William Carlson. Just They get enough talent, enough firepower to get it past the opposing goaltender. And then, I mean, the luxury of having Carey Price back there, that just solves all your problems defensively alongside a great uh, top four that's really ate a lot of minutes so far for the Canadians. For sure, yeah. Just to go back on Caulfield, I mean, that that was a goal scorer's goal for sure. You you look at it, and then you check the stats, and he had what thirty goals in thirty one games this year with Wisconsin. Um, yeah, and that's kind of his whole mo is a shooter first and pass later. But he, uh, yeah, he really brought something to the lineup. You could kind of see the whole series against Toronto switch when he and Kakaniemi came into the lineup, and then the series switched even more in favor of Montreal when he and Suzuki got put with Tyler Toffoli. They've been the best line, I think, in the playoffs um, so far since they've been put together, maybe after the Braden Point line uh, in Tampa Bay. But um, no, you, you can't really count out the Canadians now. It seems like they have that good omen, uh, the momentum in their favor. Carey Price is playing all-worldly again. Um, yeah, Tampa Bay has their hands full, and if they think otherwise, I think they're in for a bit of, su of a surprise. Yeah, we'll touch on the uh, the Stanley Cup final coming up starting tomorrow night against the, the Lightning and the Canadians. Uh, we'll touch on that in a quick second, but uh, quick, one more couple of points here on the Canadian side of things. Um, basically, when they score three goals... They're automatic. It's an automatic win. They are basically, I think they're 11-0 now when they score more than two goals. Uh, that overtime goal by Lekkanen in Game 6 uh, brought that total up to 11 games. Where uh, they got to score three. That is the, the, the poster board when you, when you put it up on the board uh, before every game. Get to three goals, carry Price and the defenseman, have it the rest of the way. And that's been a recipe for success for the Canadians. And then in terms of the opposing captains that the Canadians have faced uh, throughout these first three rounds of the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, Tavares, zero points in only the one game. You can't really count that, unfortunately. However, though, Blake Wheeler, zero points in that four-game sweep against the Jets. And Mark Stone, you heard him in the post-game press conference, really taking things on the chin. He, he accepted full responsibility for the lack of production against the Canadians. He had zero points in six games, uh, largely credited to Philip Deneau and that third line doing major damage on the defensive end for the Canadians. 
For sure. Yeah, I was watching the broadcast the other day, and I forget who said it. I think it was maybe Kelly Rudy was talking about Philip Deneau and the top line that is him, Gallagher, and I can't think of who the winger, other winger is. Armia, but maybe? Top, yeah, maybe. But the shutdown line that they're using against other teams' top lines, um, he was just saying about how te- – uh, other people from across the country are going, well, how is this a top line? They're not really generating offense. Well, they generate offense by shutting down the other team's top line and uh, let the rest of the bottom nine go to work and chip in that way. And then, as you mentioned, the horses that they got on the back end, Weber, Petrie, Sherratt, Edmondson, those guys have carried the load. And uh, Petrie, man, playing through broken finger, broken hand, uh, looked like he paid a deal with the devil with yeah. whatever was going on with his eyes there. But, yeah. uh, I mean, hey, I'm sure he'll take it if it gets him a Stanley Cup uh, ring on his finger. So, 100%. Um, as we switch things over to the Lightning side of their matchup to get to the Stanley Cup final, they uh, t- got past the Islanders in Game 7, a very tight Game 7, a very defensive-driven, a one nothing score. Uh, Vasilevsky only had to face 18 shots in that Game 7, but he came up big when they needed him most. And that defense, again, they're they're running basically 4-D heavy, uh, trying to cycle in the final pairing of defensemen uh, on the Lightning side of things as well. So uh, great defensive effort by the entire Lightning squad, just getting enough offense with uh, Yanni Gord and his shorthanded goal uh, to win things for the Lightning in Game 7. You mentioned you're not on the Canadiens' bandwagon uh, as we head into this final series against the Lightning. What do you like about the Lightning so much? Well, the Lightning, they're the, they're the defending Stanley Cup champions. Sorry, I got tongue-tied there a little bit. But uh, what what's not to like about the Lightning, man? Like their top line, Palat, Point, Kucherov. The second line, Sorelli, Stamkos, Kalorn. Like their second line could be a first line yeah. on any other team in this league. And then their bottom six, like Barclay Goodrow, Yanni Gord. Blake Coleman, Patrick Maroon, just to name a few guys. Like, again, those guys, some of those guys could be playing in most other teams' uh, top six there. And then, uh, as you mentioned on defense, Victor Hedman. I mean, what more can you say about the guy? The dude is a Norris candidate year in, year out. And uh, David Savard, I think, has been playing on their third pairing. Yeah. When you have David Savard on your third pairing, that means you have more, you've got depth among depth, among depth. So, um, yeah. And then they got Vasilevsky and Nett, who I don't know if you mentioned it or not, but he, in his last four elimination starts, have they've all been shutouts. Wow. So if you want a guy to uh, play an elimination game, I think you have to go with him. He's just been, he's been money in these playoffs. He was money last year in the bubble, went game one to game, uh, however many they played throughout the playoffs. And he doesn't look like he needs a night off. He just looks the same every single game. Uh, He's always rock solid. If he lets a goal by him, it's kind of water off a duck's back and he's ready to get back into it. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot that, to like about the Lightning's uh, lineup, um, they are a little bit over the cap. I won't. I won't say anything about that. No, one, no, but, no. But no, <laughs> they're 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 a fantastic team. All I have so much respect for the Lightning and what they're doing over there. They've been one of the stellar franchises for the better part of three seasons now. And uh, if you take out the Columbus 
sweep that was a few seasons back. Uh, you can make the case they are the best team in the NHL uh, for a variety of reasons, and the, the talent is definitely up there, no doubt about it. Uh, I do have down here that the Lightning are 14-0 coming off a playoff loss that started back last year during their Stanley Cup run. So uh, you're right. Not too often do they get down big in series. If, if anything, they answer the bell right away the next game, uh, which goes to show their 14-0 record. So that is uh, terrific. In terms of that top line, like you mentioned, Kucherov being the playoff point leader, uh, he goes out there in game six and gets cross-checked. A little bit of question whether he was, in fact, injured. Uh, Was there a question about him actually playing game seven? He ended up playing and only played about 16 minutes, which is kind of low in terms of his playoff usual. Um, It goes to show, though, like what sort of an effect – his uh, broken ribs or or rib in singular form uh, will affect him in this upcoming series against the Canadians. But, I mean, you still got Braden Point to deal with, and that guy's been on a goal-scoring tear up until uh, Game 7, uh, nine straight games with a goal. So uh, pick your poison when it comes to the Canadians and their defense, right? For sure, yeah. Kucherov, I mean, he might not be as effective as he normally would have been, but at this point in the playoffs, Colby, like, who isn't dealing with some kind of ailment? So I guess that's kind of my thing. And as you said, there's depth all throughout this lineup. We've said it a few times already. Um, if it's not Kucherov, it's Point. If it's not Point, it's Stamkos. If it's not Stamkos, it's Sorelli, so on and so forth. You can just hmm. go four lines, um, just go in waves, try and uh, put a ton of pressure on the Habs uh, top four defensemen there because, as you mentioned, they run top four heavy and uh, see if you can finally crack the wall. That is Carey Price. Yeah, and I mean, big shout out though to the Islanders. The second straight year they come up uh, lame in the final four uh, series, and it's a little bit unfortunate because this Islanders team, their structure, their identity is made for playoff hockey, and for Barry Trotz and Co. to uh, to go out once again in a game seven to get it to a game seven was uh, a pretty impressive feat in itself. The blowout that was game five, going uh, and losing that one eight nothing. That was a uh, a shock to, to see that score line. But they come back game six, play a really tough game six, and uh, Anthony Bolivier gets that overtime winner to send it to game seven. And unfortunately, just not enough chances on Vasilevsky there in game seven to really make any magic happen uh, to propel them into the Stanley Cup final. But a major shout-out, though, to the Islanders. They played a heck of a series. For sure, yeah. And also shout-out the Coliseum uh, last game. Yeah. game seven. It was, I'm, this is going to sound kind of funny, Islanders fans might hate me for this, but I kind of am glad that that's how it went and that was the final game. I don't think there would be many, obviously, them winning the Stanley Cup would have topped it, but uh, that would have been tough to top. Um, They're getting a new rink next year. Hopefully it's as good as the Coliseum. But, uh, yeah, definitely shout out the Islanders. Uh, Shout out Barry Trotz, uh, Lou Lamorello, their whole organization. Again, they've proven time after time that you don't necessarily need the big star players in order to uh, in order to do well in the Stanley Cup fi- or playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be a shame, though, to see the uh, Coliseum close its doors, close the lights for the final time, because, um, I mean, we even see it here closer to home here in Medicine Hat, like the, the feelings, the emotion of the old arena up to this point, I should say, this is as of we record here on uh, June 27th, 2021, they haven't quite reached the heights uh, at co-op place as it was in the old arena. Just there's something different to it. And that's to be expected, of course. Uh, but, you know, there's so many memories, so many great games played at the Coliseum. It's going to be hard to replicate that even in a new building like that. 
For sure. Yeah. Well, we saw it with the Barclay Center when they moved over yeah. there for a couple years. It, it was not the same. Uh, Islanders fans are saying, like, why can't you just go back to the old building? So yeah. they renovated it. Um, it's going to be sad to see it go. Um, but, yeah, new beginning. Uh, they definitely, by the sounds of it, uh, according to people who regularly attend games, that it needs to – needs to. it's seen its time. It needs to go. They need something new. But, yeah, hopefully, as you said, they can replicate uh, – the noise and the atmosphere in the new building. Bring the beer cans back and throw them on the ice and on the uh, for sure in the new arena, right? Um, oh, but yeah, yeah, this team, the way it's built uh, and the structure that Trotz has given this team since he's arrived, they're they're well positioned to again be back in this position. They almost feel a little bit like the Capitals of the early 2010s. Um, not quite the star power. That was Ovechkin and Kuznetsov and, and Backstrom. But they've got really, really solid guys, really underrated guys. And that defensive structure is going to keep them in the uh, regular season hunt and the playoff hunt for many years to come. I really like what I see from the Islanders. And they should be back in this position. And hopefully they can break through and get past this point um, as they've been unsuccessful to do in the last couple of years. Yeah, for sure. And just one more point to add to the Islanders and uh, Mitch Korn, their goaltending coach. It does not seem to matter who they put in net. Uh, Simeon Varlamov, he struggled the past few years, I thought, in Colorado. And he gets to the Islanders and he's a totally different goaltender. You see uh, Braden Holtby in Washington and now Vancouver. He's been without Mitch Korn for the past couple years and his game has dramatic or dramatically dropped off so uh just shout out to him as well and uh yeah i think they'll be back for sure Anders Lee, him uh, tearing his ACL, that was a big loss. Yeah. Especially game seven, they lose one nothing. You would have think you would think their captain could do uh, could have done something. But um, yeah, they're right there, just need to make a couple changes here and there, maybe bring in some more offense and uh, see what they can do next season. I'm not sure if you've seen the uh, the the lists of potential players available for the expansion draft going to Seattle uh, for a variety of teams. I know I've been looking on the score the last couple days, and it looks like the Islanders, unfortunately, might be losing a, a key piece of their bottom six potentially if the Kraken decide to go that realm um, by picking a player like someone like Cal Clutterbuck or Matt Martin, someone on that. That attitude line, Casey Sezikis, uh, which really builds the, ide the identity of the Islanders. So that would be uh, a potentially big loss to fill. But every team's going to have to give up somebody during this expansion draft. So they're not alone in that way. But For sure. Yeah, definitely. But that bottom, that, uh, excuse me, that uh, fourth line, I think, by far is the best in hockey. So yeah. it would definitely be would definitely be a huge loss there for the Islanders. We will move things along to the granddaddy of them all. The Stanley Cup final, like I mentioned, has been set. Tomorrow night, things kick off. It is the Canadians and the Lightning, game one from Florida. Uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Troy. Some keys to the series on your front. Um, we won't pick winners just yet, but we're going to talk about keys of the series. What do you see um, as the focal point for this one coming up? Uh, for sure, definitely starts in net. Uh, Carey Price, Andre Vasilevsky, who's who's going to come out on top there. Um, Nikita Kucherov, certainly coming off an injury. Uh, what can he do? Can he produce at the level we've gotten accustomed to? Uh, and then obviously Braden Point and uh, the rest of the Lightning. 
can they break through the Canadians' defense? Um, and then vice versa, can the Canadians get enough offense to keep up with Tampa Bay? Um, they've they've scored. We've seen them score eight goals. They've, we've seen them score four, five, six goals over the course of the year. These playoffs last year, so they can they can put them away in bunches. But um, one thing that uh, and I don't want to take away all the points here, but one thing that I think is the most interesting is uh, the Lightning's power play against the Canadians' penalty kill. Um, the Habs have killed off, what, like 30 of their last 30 kills? Yeah. Something like that. They haven't allowed a goal since the first round against Toronto. Um, yeah, just just insane what their penalty kill is doing. And they've scored a couple shorthanded goals, a couple backbreakers. Um, so yeah, there's, there's lots to keep that. I want to keep my eyes on in this series, but, uh, I definitely think the biggest one is the power play of Tampa Bay against the Canadians, uh, lethal penalty kill. I agree. I don't think you, even if you have a lethal penalty kill, I don't want you sending the lightning to the power play and giving them opportunities to just get easy goals because that is what they do on the power play. So I agree with you. That one's going to be a major key to this series because, a few early power play goals can really set this series back like for the Canadians. If they get down in Florida, they I think they got to steal one of these in Florida to to bring it back to Montreal with a tie. They can't go down to nothing. I just don't see them uh, being able to come back from that deficit, but uh the the special teams will be very important. I think the goaltending battle like you mentioned is going to be fantastic. Two of these guys at the prime of their playing career right now I think Price is playing unbelievable and Vasilevsky we've seen what he's done the last few postseasons outside of the Columbus series that was a little bit of a a downgrade for him but uh and then the big guns for Montreal have to continue to be the big guns Caulfield um has to continue to score Toffoli's got to put some in the back of the net and the the no line of being able to stop the uh, Stamkos line and the Kucherov line. Which one do you stop right away? I mean, you probably got to stop the Kucherov point line, but then you're leaving Sorelli and Stamkos open uh, for chances. So the depth of Tampa is going to be major, and it's going to be up to the Canadians to continue to build that wall in front of Carey Price to give them any sort of a chance. For sure, yeah. And uh, one thing, too, Colby, that I'll be interested in watching is if Tampa Bay can play in these kind of one nothing 2-1 games. We saw at Game 7 against uh, the Islanders, they locked it down, only allowed 18 shots. But will they be able to do that consistently uh, with Carey Price, as you said, at the top of his game right now? It'll be very interesting to see. This This cup final, this has been one of the more intriguing cup finals, I think, I think in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, having a Canadian team in it um, on this side of the border really helps. But yeah. um, no, it should be should be a super, super interesting series. I'm very excited for game one to start tomorrow. And uh, I hope I hope it goes seven. I hope we see some great hockey over the next couple of days. Same here. And I, a little kind of a uh, throwaway storyline for me might be the whole uh, Stamkos and Montreal connection. I know back when there was kind of a decision to be made about his future with the Lightning, if he was going to sign a deal elsewhere, Montreal was on the list. I believe they even got a chance to talk to Stamkos alongside Toronto. And uh, they obviously didn't go the way that they planned and, and he stayed in, in Tampa and signed a really good deal for Tampa in the process. But uh, that whole little storyline going forward might be uh, an interesting one that they'll throw into the broadcast as well. 
For sure, yeah. And then just to add one more into the mix there, Corey Perry was on uh, Dallas last year in the bubble. They lost to Tampa in six. Uh, one of the reporters asked him if this was revenge. And, I mean, he's saying no uh, to to the camera, but I I think personally, just knowing the type of player he is, he definitely has that in the back of his mind that uh, he's not going to let this happen to him a second time. And for all the slack and, and arrows that have been thrown Mark Bergevin's way, this roster as constructed by him in the offseason um, has finally come to fruition. This is the team that he expected at the beginning of the season and because of COVID and, and the schedule and whatnot, didn't quite portray in the regular season but you know Lance Dahl has been saying this for months now, that this, this roster is playoff tested. This is what you need to see in the playoffs. And, I mean, it's all being proved to fruition. This is all coming together, and Corey Perry is a great example of that. Not the best regular season guy at this stage of his career, but when the lights come on and it gets down to brass tacks, you want Corey Perry on your team. And that's, exact, that's exactly what he's been given the Canadians, uh, you know, getting bloody there in Game 6 and then coming back out on the ice to celebrate the uh, series-winning goal with, after Lekkonen scores. That's just like prime Perry, and he's provided a boost not only um, on the ice but off the ice. It's, it's incredible. For sure, yeah. To be honest with you, Corey, I think uh, – or sorry, Colby. Um, I was thinking of Corey Perry. That's all right. But um, I think – he and Tyler Toffoli yeah. were two of the best signings uh, this offseason by any team. Uh, Mark Bergevin got Toffoli at a steal. I think it was four by four or four and a half. And then he got Corey Perry at league minimum. Yeah. And as you mentioned, he brings so much more than just statistics. He has the experience. He, he kind of he knows how to get to a Stanley Cup final. He knows how to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, he has a couple Olympic golds to his name. He He's definitely a leader out there. And uh, to have a guy like him, to have another guy like Eric Stahl, another cup winner, Shea Weber, um, to have those guys, you're going to need them, especially against a team like Tampa, who now is just loaded with cup winners because they brought so much of their core group back from last year. So you're going to need as much experience and uh, as you can against the Lightning, and um, hopefully that uh, proves well for the Canadians. One loss of on the Canadian side of things that we got to keep our eye on is Joel Armia. We mentioned him uh, in that shutdown role on the third or fourth line there. Uh, he is out with COVID protocols. He's not making the trip to Tampa uh, for games one and two, so he will be sidelined. And uh, head coach Dominic Ducharme is expected to make his return to behind the bench uh, for game three of this series. So uh, Luke Richardson still behind the bench for at least the first couple of games in this Stanley Cup final. Very much looking forward to it, like you mentioned there, Troy. Uh, game one tomorrow night, 6 p.m. here uh, in Mountain Time. Very much looking forward to that series getting underway. We'll talk about the uh, results of that coming up next week on the podcast. Uh, we'll switch things over to the NBA side of things. Their own Final Four being taken place as we speak. And the Phoenix Suns are one victory away from reaching the NBA Finals. Something that prior to the season I did not expect to be a phrase coming out of my mouth. But here we are in 2021. Uh, they shut down the Clippers last night. 84-80 was the final score. Um, I'm not sure about you, Troy. Not a score I was expecting to see in 2021. That's for sure. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. I, I was not... Uh, well, I, I thought the Suns would be a lot better than they have been the last couple years. Uh, they played really well in the bubble. 
Um, but yeah, I would not have expected them to come within one victory of making the NBA finals, but Devin Booker, man, that guy, that guy is unbelievable. Yeah. He just, he just has turned it on. Uh, Deandre Ayton, um, has also been a monster and then not to take anything away from the Suns, but obviously them getting Chris Paul back and, uh, the Clippers losing Kawhi Leonard, one of the best players in the NBA, looks like he's out for the remainder of the year. Uh, I don't know if they've confirmed that or not, but a suspected ACL injury. That that has to be a tough blow. But um, no, the Clippers, uh, they still, I think, played pretty decent, I think, down the stretch here in these last couple games. But uh, no, the Suns, the Suns are too good. The Suns are too good for them. I think they finish it off in five. Yeah, the depth of the Suns is coming through right now in this series. And like you mentioned, it's it's hard to, to see this series and not wish for the absolute best health for all teams, uh, including the Clippers. But it kind of goes to show, even like we just mentioned in the NHL, like everyone's dealing with something. And although Chris Paul came back from COVID protocols, wasn't dealing with an injury per se, uh, just his experience and his leadership uh, is proving massive uh, in both Game 3 and Game 4 that he's been a part of. Um, both Booker and Paul didn't shoot great last night there in game four. Uh, they both didn't even hit a three pointer, which is kind of crazy. Um, as you look at the box score, but Aiton's big night carried them and they got some big contributions along the way, uh, from a bunch of different role players. And it seems like every night for the Suns, a different role player emerges and comes through with some big games. It could be Cam Johnson. It could be Jay Crowder. It could be campaign who led all scores in game two. This guy was waived from the Raptors and the Thunder in recent years. He was one of the worst players in the NBA, and now he's coming back in a Western Conference Final and hitting close to 30 points. Uh, pretty incredible what Monty Williams and the coaching staff of the Suns have been able to do alongside Devin Booker and Chris Paul and the emergence of Ayton as a big guy taking on uh, Anthony Davis in round one and Rudy Gobert in round two. Uh, it's just been amazing to see, and I'm really happy for these Suns to be on the verge of a Finals appearance. Uh, is incredible. Definitely. And just a little fun note I just wanted to add in there. Um, this is a little bit of a throwback. 1993, the Habs won the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. The Suns won the NBA championship, and the Blue Jays won the World Series. Oh. So maybe that's a good omen for the Jays. But there looks like go. looks like we're seeing a little bit of deja vu from 1993. That's incredible. Wow. <laughs> that, that is... Uh... That is impressive. Very impressive. Um, I actually, I just looked at that. Not to to poo-poo on your parade. I believe they made the finals, but they lost to the Bulls in that one. Okay, well, I mean, maybe, you lose maybe to... that's what it was. I was just scrolling through Twitter today, and I saw it there. So that actually sounds right. But they're going to make the finals, at least. And they're, they're yeah. going to go up against uh, not as talented as the Chicago Bulls was of the 90s. So um, you, know, you don't have to deal with Michael Jordan. No, no no Jordans coming through these halls. Um, but yeah, so we'll, like you mentioned, you expect the series to be done. Uh, tomorrow night is Game 5 back in Phoenix. Uh, you're expecting the series to be closed out by then? Yeah, oh yeah, I think so. I don't... I think last night was uh, the Clippers' chance to get back into the series. And uh, 3-1 without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Paul George has struggled a little bit the last uh, game or so. So I think it would be tough for them to get back into the series. But I think, yeah, I think it's going to finish in five. I think Devin Booker's going to drop 35. Mm. And uh, I don't think it's going to be close either. 
No, I think I, I tend to agree with you there. I think the Phoenix crowd is going to welcome them back with open arms, and it's going to be uh, basically the Clippers have to survive that first five minutes. And if it is a uh, a double digit deficit in that first five minutes, you can basically say good night, Irene. Like it's going to be a a tough one for the Clips to come back from, even if Paul George finds his shot once again and they get some contributions from a, a Morris brother or a Terrence Mann or whoever it is uh, that, that steps up for the Clippers. So I agree with you. I think Suns and five. And uh, it'd be some nice rest for the uh, for the Suns. You always get into that battle of rest versus rust. But if the uh, the other series we'll get to in a quick second, if that one goes um, any amount of distance, because I mean this series has gone super quickly because they got their first two games in before the Hawks and the Bucks got even game one in just due to the scheduling. So uh, this series will end quicker regardless as compared to the Hawks and the Bucks one. Uh, so a little bit of rest will be coming the way to whoever wins this series regardless. For sure. Most definitely. Yeah, I think I've always been of the mind that I would take the rest over the rust. I don't think rust really plays that much of a factor when you're a professional athlete. I mean, the Avalanche proved that earlier. Uh, these NHL playoffs, the uh, Canadians have proved it. Um, I think, well, actually, I guess the Canadians, yeah, they lost game one to the uh, to Vegas, but I don't know. I, I personally think, especially at this time of the year, you're so late into the year, any extra days off you can get for rest, recovery, um, deal with some bumps and bruises, uh, I think I think definitely helps headed into the next series. And you're hoping, if you're the Suns, that you can close out your series and then the, uh, the Hawks and Bucks go as go seven, go the distance and that you're getting a tired team while you're well rested in game one. hundred percent. And then, I mean, you look at a guy like Chris Paul, every little inch of rest he can get on that 36 year old body, he will definitely take uh, just to potentially get him away from injuries. I mean, knock on wood, we don't want anything wrecking a potential NBA finals with the Suns. You want them as close to full health as possible against one of these guys. We'll touch, we'll get on that right now. Uh, the Hawks and the Bucks game three goes tonight as we record here on a late Sunday afternoon. Uh, that series tied at one game apiece. The game one was the Trey Young show once again. He came out guns blazing, completely picked apart the Bucks defense en route to 48 points on the night. And then you switch things over to game two, and the Bucks seemed to figure their stuff out at home, and they walloped the Hawks uh, with a 25-plus point victory. Wasn't really close in the slightest. Uh, very interesting what happens here tonight in Game 3. What sort of a Hawks team shows up back at home uh, on their home court? Very interested for this one, though. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Hawks, they've surprised me for sure. They were a team that I was like, yeah, I think, I think they could take out the Clippers. But uh, I wasn't giving them much of a chance against Philly. And then they took them out in seven. So yeah. proves how much I know. But, um, yeah, I think I think for the Hawks to be successful, Trey Young is going to have to pull out a couple more 40, 45, 50-point games in order to be able to uh, take on the Bucks Again, they just have so much depth at every every position. Giannis Antetokounmpo, like, he's – he didn't – win MVP this year but he was in the running he's always an MVP candidate um they can shoot threes really well but uh yeah they can come at you in a bunch of different forms so again I think the Hawks are going to just need to rely heavily on Trey Young and hope that he can carry them I mean he's done it the last couple series so maybe he's got another one in him but I like uh 
I like the Bucks in this series as well. We talked about it on the pod. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the last one or the one prior, but uh, we, we we imagined that the winner of the Bucks and the Net series from round two was going to make uh, an appearance in the NBA Finals as the Eastern Conference representative. And it, it's hard to argue what the Bucks can bring to the table against these Hawks. I mean, the Hawks have been underdogs in both of these previous two series that they've been in. They they upset, quote-unquote, the Knicks. And then, like you mentioned in the Sixers series, uh, no one expected them to get it to a Game 7, let alone win one in Philly on the road. Uh, a couple kind of historic collapses for the 76ers resulted in that and you know different play from Ben Simmons and co which we could get to later on but uh the Hawks nonetheless I mean they've been showing out here in their basically their first playoff experience for much of their main guys not only Trey Young's first appearance but John Collins and Kevin Herter and a bunch of these um starters for the Hawks their first taste of playoff experience they're already in an Eastern Conference final I mean, this is basically house money at this point. They're playing so well, playing against the upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference. Y you hope for more magical trade games to keep this series close. Uh, this game three tonight is going to be a major tipping point. I think if the Bucks come out and they really take it to them once again, you got to wonder about the psyche of these young Hawks and if they can get a... A, a, a tie here in Atlanta to get it to to get it back to Milwaukee for a game five. Um, you don't want to go down three one though back to to Milwaukee and have the chance for the Bucks to finish the series out. No, most certainly not. But just one more point I want to make on the Hawks. I think this has been an absolute win for them. They could lose the every the remaining games in this series, and this season will have been uh, very successful for them. Uh, just getting, as you mentioned, um, some playoff games for Trey Young, some of their other young stars. Um, I think they'll be a team that will be tough to handle in the next few years. And uh, I just wanted to make one more point that I really enjoy this Final Four of four teams that you don't usually see making it this far. We've kind of gotten accustomed to seeing the Lakers or the Raptors or the Golden State Warriors um, just nice to see someone else uh, get their name into the hat and uh, try and win their win a championship. It's a great point. I mean, it's nice to see some young blood in there, whether it is a Booker or a Trey Young or a Giannis trying to get over the hump and silence some demons of his own. You're right. It's a great sight. It's a good. I think it's good for the league in general to have these mm -hmm. teams on the, on the come up and get their chance at some gold. Uh, you know, leave LeBron, leave Curry and the Warriors for another day because they're going to get their chance again. You just know it. It's just it's only a matter of time. And in this crazy season that's been COVID-19, it's nice to see some young blood, like I mentioned, uh, get their chance at a potential NBA Finals appearance, which could be starting as soon as uh, next week. So very interested to see how the rest of uh, this Game 3 series, or sorry, this uh, Hawks-Bucks series, rather, uh, goes tonight with Game 3, and then the rest of the Suns series against the Clippers, uh, if that is wrapped up tomorrow night as we record here on a Sunday. Um, any other talking points you want to touch on, Troy, before we head out of here? Uh, just quickly, I just wanted to ask you one question. Ben Simmons, do you think he's a 76er next year? Oh my goodness, that is like the uh, the sports buzz word of the of the week. It's been uh, over a week since their last game, the 76ers. They lost there in Game Seven. It's oh, I don't know. I don't know. The, the I don't want to go one way or the other. I think what he did 
this postseason, he's at an all-time low trade-wise. Like, I don't know what the Sixers co- would want to get for them. Like, I've seen many trades for C.J. McCollum out in Portland. I've seen trades uh, to get him to Dallas for a Porzingis package. I don't know if that is enough for what the 76ers would want to acquire for a guy of Ben Simmons' talents. Not shooting the basketball is a major deficit. We're starting to find this out here in 2021. Mm-hmm. you got to be able to shoot. And for a guy to not want to shoot, like, that's the worst part, I think is that he's not even trying. He's getting to the post, and he's giving up a free dunk. He won't even go to the free throw line. Like, it's just, it is all in his head right now. And basically, it's up to the management of the 76ers if they want to believe that he's going to improve this offseason. If they don't believe that he's going to put the work in, whether it's physical work, mental work, whatever the case may be, if they don't believe his word and his his actions of trying to improve as they head into next next fall, then you got to look at an option to get rid of him because he's it's the way Ben Simmons is currently constructed. He does not work alongside the likes of Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris. It just does not work. We've seen it too many postseasons now where the the Sixers are are flailing at the end of games and they can't have a quote unquote point guard not be able to pull up and even shoot a a fifteen footer. Like he is just in his head right now to the point where. Yeah, these trade offers are coming in. I think any team willing to work with him on his physical and mental struggles are getting a gold mine. He's a first overall pick that you that could be had for uh, bottom basement prices. You might give up, like I mentioned, a CJ McCollum. You might give up, if you're the Raptors, do you give up Pascal Siakam for him? Straight up. That's a trade I've seen out there. Um, there, there's so many question marks with with Simmons, and does he have the attitude to change it? That is the main question. If you're a 76ers fan, and if you're management of 76ers, yeah, for sure. I I definitely think uh, change the scenery would be best for him. But this kind of this scenario kind of reminds me of when Kawhi Leonard got traded to the Raptors. Obviously, that his was injury related. It wasn't because yeah. of. Uh, what he could do on the court. But I definitely think there could be a team out there that, yeah, as you said, are getting him at a bargain deal, essentially. And if they could turn his game around, like, he he could be a top 15, top 10 player in the NBA when he's at his best. So um, if you are if you don't have to give up a ton in order to get him, I think teams will should and will definitely look into that. But, uh yeah, his his struggles, man. If you can't shoot in the NBA, you're you're done for. In other sports, you can maybe cover up deficiencies, but mm-hmm. when there's five on five and you can't shoot and you're scared to shoot, um, that that's an issue. So, um, but getting him out of Philly, I definitely think would help as well. I mean, man, Philly fans in general, they're just <laughs> ruthless. I I personally, if I was a professional athlete, I would not ask to ever play for any Philadelphia sports team, but um, maybe that's just me. Maybe I can't handle the heat either, but I think, it means, I think a change of scenery would definitely do him some good. It's a great comparison with the Kawhi thing because you're right. I, at his bat, like we don't even know what the best Ben Simmons is. I mean, we see the playmaking abilities. We see his defensive efforts. And if this guy got any sort of a shot, if this guy just had the mindset of wanting to shoot and get points, like... I think people respect Kobe in a way because, I mean, he didn't have the greatest shot, especially towards the end of his career. But the guy who goes out and at least puts the effort in, he shoots 20 to 30 times. They, I think players of teams appreciate a guy that's willing to shoot 
than a guy who goes uh, puts up three shots total in the entire fourth quarter of all the games in that series against the Hawks. He only shot the ball three times in the entire series in the fourth quarter. Like that is just as one of your leaders, that's not good enough. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they do. Like it, it's a very uh, fair comparison with the Kawhi. If you can get a star that could, I mean, he's making all-star teams and all NBA teams with the stat line he has, and he does not have a shot. Like, just mm-hmm. imagine this guy with some, some sort of a decent, respectable shot. And I think it's going to come down to him and the work ethic, and if the Sixers believe in that, like I mentioned, then he's going to stay there, and they're going to try it again. And if not, then a change of scenery may be needed to kickstart his career and put the Sixers in a spot where they can provide better offense around Embiid because as a big man, he can't. We can't run everything through him. He goes to show. He tires out too quickly in the fourth quarter, which is not um, a fault of his own. He's a big guy carrying a lot of the offensive and defensive load for the Sixers. So things need to change, and it's whether Simmons makes a change himself or management and co. ship him out and bring in a new guy to make the change for the team. Yeah, definitely. Can't. I couldn't agree more with you. Uh, I just. I think it's an interesting topic. Uh, it will definitely carry i would imagine most of the headlines in the summer in the nba um he i saw he wasn't uh, participating with australia in the olympics so yeah he said he needed to work on well obviously he needs to work on his shots so we'll see uh we'll see the work see if he puts in the work see how it turns out um see if he's still on the sixers next year but uh it will definitely be a story that i will be following over the next couple months same here he's very fascinating it's a good first effort to turn down the invitation to play for australia that is a good first step i think you want to see that if you're a 76ers fan but the last thing i want to see is come Mid to late August, you see on social media the, the posts of him in the gym shooting, you know, <laughs> jumpers with nobody around him. I, I don't want to see those videos. I don't because they are full of shit and they, do, they don't mean a damn thing when it comes to playing in the NBA. I don't want to see that. But, you know, uh, with all this storyline and talk, you're going to see these videos of Simmons developing a jumper and shooting a three and look how far he's come. And I just think it's a bunch of baloney. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Couldn't <laughs> agree more. It's just one of those things. And like, as you said, it's a video, nobody's around. You can edit it. Like how many of those did he miss when he like yep. puts a like, clip together? Oh, look, I've hit four in a row. Like, okay, well how many <laughs> did you miss prior to that? Yeah. So yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting for sure. Um, yeah, respect to him for turning down playing in the Olympics. That's, I would imagine, one of their dreams growing up, trying to make the NBAs to represent their country in Australia. Uh, he's the only notable name off the top of my head I can think of that would be representing Australia. So, uh, tough loss for them, I guess. But, uh, yeah, props to him for... Uh, at least saying the right things that he's going to try and put the work in to get better and develop a shot that he does not have. Exactly. No, and I think uh, off the top of my head, I think of like Joe Ingles out of Utah, uh, just, you know, a role player. I think Simmons would be the, the headline star of that Australia team, no doubt about it. So uh, a big loss for the for the national team, but like you mentioned, good on him uh, for, for some word speak. Now he's got to turn that into action as we head into the offseason for the Sixers, at least. There's still four more teams battling 
to get to the NBA Finals here in the next week or so. Uh, anything else you want to touch on there, Troy? No, I think uh, I think we covered everything. Um, Euro, I guess we'll touch on the Euro maybe. There was an upset today, Czech Republic over, uh, I believe it was the Netherlands. There you in, go. In the knockout bracket. And then uh, Belgium took out the defending champion, Portugal, uh, 1-0. So, um, yeah, looks like uh, the round of 16 is already off to a hot start. And uh, we'll have a new champion in that as well. So That's a big uh, one. Yeah, should be should be a good couple weeks here in terms of sports with the Euro finishing their tournament, the NBA Finals and Stanley Cup Finals upcoming, and uh, yeah, uh, MLB All Star Game as well coming up in July too. So this is perfect time for sports fans, especially with weird seasons, years off. Um, yeah, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, just happy that sports are back and kind of in full swing, and we're not talking too much more about oh, COVID restrictions and this and that. It's about what's happening on the field or the court or pitch, so on and so forth. Yeah, so, no more yeah. bubble talk, is there? Yeah, no, thank <laughs> God. Thank God um, two quick things. If I'm not mistaken, I believe Italy is in a class of its own in Euros. Like They're one of the uh, favorites when it comes out of this one. Am I, not, am I mistaken? Yeah, they haven't lost in, I think, 31 games now. Yeah. So they, or they haven't unbeaten streak of 31 yeah they they are definitely the team i have uh in one end going to the finals um i think they won their first matchup as well against um against austria mm. i think they won 2-1 yesterday uh so yeah just um then denmark also 4-0 over wales All right. um, i believe yesterday as well so yeah already a couple upsets but uh, i think italy for sure definitely has the upper hand over uh the remaining teams. And one final thing, uh, you mentioned the All-Star game for the MLB side of things going down uh, in a couple weeks' time in Coors Field, or at Coors Field in Colorado. Uh, what's your thoughts on Vladdy Jr. not being a part of the MLB Home Run Derby? No, oh, I respect it. I think uh, this might be, well, this might be a popular opinion in Canada, but I think he won the last one. I know he didn't officially, but that uh, round he had with Jock Peterson when they hit like 100 home runs yeah. in one round. <laughs> they just kept going one for one, basically. Uh, yeah, he didn't. He doesn't have anything to prove. Everyone knows he's one of the best home run hitters in the league. I, I think for sure the Jays finally seem like they have a good groove going now. They've won seven of the last eight. Uh, thankfully, they've, they've played most of them against the Orioles, I guess. But um, they've had a tough schedule up until these last this last week and a half. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a crucial crucial couple weeks here for the Jays to try and climb back into playoff contentions. I, I don't have an issue with him uh, stepping away, not participating in the uh, home run derby. I'm disappointed by it as a fan because obviously that dude can mash them with the best of them. But um, no, I definitely respect his decision for putting the team first. Same here. I agree completely. I think I would love to see him hit in Coors Field. Like that atmosphere, like that is no matter who's going to be in the field for the home run derby, we're going to see some crazy home run numbers. You mentioned the battle between him and Jock Peterson. Uh, like hitting in Coors Field, like predominantly, has been amazing for home run hitters. Like just the ball flies out of the park. So um, it's going to be crazy to see Otani probably get into the uh, 15 20 range in a round. Like he's a, he's a talent among himself as well. But uh, whoever goes into that home run derby, in Colorado, coming up in a couple weeks, is going to be must-watch TV, I'll tell you that. 
For sure. And then just one, one more note on Home Run Derby. Very cool that Trey Mancini uh, got invited and is participating. Uh, if you don't know his story, obviously he missed all last year uh, battling cancer. Uh, he is now back. He is actually playing quite well as well on a pretty average uh, Baltimore Orioles team. But yeah, I saw yesterday, I believe, that they were inviting him to the uh, home run derby and that he was participating. So just cool, cool storyline to follow if you're a Jays fan and Vlad's not participating. I personally think the home run derby is by far the best part of uh, All-Star Weekend. So uh, just to have his name in there as well with, as you said, Otani, um, some of the other guys who can just mash the baseball to know just they just de- demolish it. I, yeah. I look at some guys and I'm like, man, how do they hit the ball that far and that <laughs> hard? Like that exit velocity. And I'm like, that does not make any sense to me. But um, yeah, just a cool note. Uh, I'll definitely be rooting for him to do well. And uh, yeah, very excited for the Home Run Derby upcoming in July. Shout out to Trey. That's a fantastic story. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and don't worry, Troy. I have a hard enough time hitting a slow pitch baseball uh, into the grass, so like I am not even close to a home run hitter uh, in any sort of the word. Man, uh, <laughs> same here. I, I just still I watch it every time I see Guerrero hit like a home run or yeah. anyone for that matter, and I'm like, holy, we hit that like 450 feet. Like that doesn't even. I just can't even register how people are strong enough to do that, especially with the pitches coming at them and they're like a hundred miles per hour now. So just insane, just just craziness, but. Yeah, as I said, very excited for the Home Run Derby. Um, it is always a very uh, eventful time for baseball fans. And as you mentioned, Coors Field. Like, if you wanted to watch a Home Run Derby, there could be several records per round set yep. in, in this in this event because, as you said, it's, it's a hitter's park for sure. Looking forward to it. Hey, thank you so much, Troy, for hopping in and, and being the co-host in this podcast. Where can everyone find your uh, social media platforms? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Troy Durrell, D-U-R-R-E-L-L. And then you can also find me on Instagram, which is at Durrelly, D-U-R-R-E-L-L-Y. Uh, so those are the two platforms I'm on. Uh, definitely give me a follow, trash talk me a little bit if you want. Any Anyone who wants to talk sports, I am more than willing to do so. So definitely hit me up. A great follow and- on both those platforms. I will co-sign you. It's great following your Instagram. Like all your uh, all your shirtless pics, dude. Like you're just, you're just jacked. You're just, you and your buddies are just, just tarps off summer. Oh yeah, oh yeah, hot boy summer. I was. Summer. I, went for a, I went for a run yesterday, and every day, everything in my head was just not fat boy summer. We're aiming for hot boy summer here, so let's get after it. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you so much for downloading and finding the podcast here today. You can find us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash On the Board Podcast. We're on Twitter as well at On the Board Pod. Hopefully, we'll have the boys, being Lance and Corey, back with us uh, next week. Until then, enjoy the sports and uh, enjoy the hot weather. If you're uh, in a big fan of the hot weather, we're going to experience a lot of that here in, in southern Alberta the next week or so. So enjoy that. For Troy Durrell, Colbin McKee, signing off. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to On the Board. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform. And find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash on the board podcast. Yes! Yes! <laughs>